I got hurt, but help me MD and turn me back into a healthy MC. Hey everybody, welcome to Farms Not Farms Radio, episode 6. We're here today with Alan Atkinson from Grokashi. Hey Alan, how you doing? Great, happy to be here, man. How are you? I'm wonderful, man. I'm really happy to talk to you. And uh, I know that I first met met you at uh, the Adam Dunn Invitational. That's a cannabis cup. I know that you also... Uh, Grow Kashi is a really wonderful product. We'll talk about that here in a second. And you're also the administrator for uh, a group called PFA, or Probiotic Farmers Alliance. Uh, you want to just maybe tell a little bit about that real quick? Well, the Probiotic Farmers Alliance uh, started out originally as the Grow Kashi beta testers. We wanted to find out why all of these uh, Bokashi blends didn't uh, really catch hold here in the United States. And we wanted to find out what the shortcomings of those products were, you know, and uh, find out uh, the mistakes that were previously made, you know, uh, with uh, teaching people about effective microorganisms or EM1. When we finished the beta testing, uh, we, the group, everyone still wanted to hang out. And so we said, you know, uh, let me take a back seat with Grokashi and uh, we renamed it the Probiotic Farmers Alliance uh, Grokashi Beta Test Community. So we, we want to be the go-to group for new and upcoming companies especially, but old companies are welcome too, that want to fine-tune or beta test their products. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like um, uh, a company or someone comes with a, uh, an idea or a new product, and uh, they, out of their own pocket, send out beta testers, uh, samples, at least 25 of them. And uh, we, we start testing the product and vetting it and researching, making sure that all of the inputs going into the product are sustainably uh, sourced, you know. Uh, you know, uh, taking a bunch of ecologically-minded people uh, and using them to, uh, to vet the product through critical thinking. Awesome. So for anyone who's just tuning in or for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, this episode is dedicated to organic farming practices, organic growing practices. And of course, we're talking about probiotic farming. And Alan, would you like to just quickly touch on what probiotic farming is? Well, um, when I first, uh, years ago, I first searched the term on the internet, probiotic farming and there was nothing out there and because i thought that's what we're doing we're farming using probiotics to outcompete the pathogenic uh things like botrytis and powdery mildew things that that we all hate in our industry and in the food industry too and so we thought well farming with probiotics is basically using the competitive exclusion principle so for instance you know uh we would intentionally farm using like a lacto lactic acid bacteria serum because we know that it can outcompete the powdery mildew and the botrytis both in the soil and on the plant like natural versions homemade versions of things like uh you know actinovate was very popular because it could outcompete powdery mildew so actinovate had these actinomycetes which are you know uh, a type of streptomyces but we're, we're just, 
using at-home recipes, you know, uh, to kind of replicate the sustainable farming that our ancestors had. Because one thing we found out is that, you know, before there was refrigerators and the trash truck, you know, people were, they relied on fermenting their foods. And then uh, when the meal was done, none of the waste would, of course, go into a trash can. It went into our ancestors' compost piles. And so it just, it worked kind of as a compost accelerator. And uh, it just was part of what they, what we call today the, what, like a food web cycle or the web. You know, they were just, you know, working with that. And uh, I like to tell people that you don't really have to go to a permaculture school. You could really just study what your, your own ancestors did in a locale to survive before we had all these luxuries. So for someone who is not yet educated about Bokashi, would you explain that real quick? It's just a lactic acid bacteria normally is used, and it is uh, used, uh, Bokashi means fermented plant matter. And so here in America, um, most farm boys and girls here in America aren't familiar with Bokashi, but they're super familiar with silage, you know, the stuff that we would uh, cover and ferment to make the feed for cattle or the animals on our farm more more bioavailable and to uh, to keep it from spoiling we would cover it and ferment it okay and so bokashi is the korean farming version <laughs> what is going on let's call it right back yo well the government don't want us talking about sustainable farming <laughs> well, if anybody's tapping us, we love you. We're here to help everyone and hurt no one. And thank you for sticking with us during this quick break. And Alan, why don't you pick up where we left off? Well, we were just talking about Bokashi and where it came from and the technology. You, you had asked me if it came from the Korean natural farming. And I said, uh, I don't think it came to... Well, from Korean natural farming, but I know it was adopted by them. And so uh, there's a there's a, an agreement out there called the Asian Pacific. It's called the APNAN Manual, and it's uh, the Asian Pacific nations and how they all agreed to use the technology behind effective microorganisms. And this is beneficial for people, animals, and the environment because it allows us to use farming practices without harmful chemicals? Yeah, and also because we're, we're, we're putting inputs back into the soil yearly. You know, the problem, uh, especially trace minerals and uh, lactic acid bacteria and stuff, with uh, traditional farming, or uh, all those needs were met. But with conventional agriculture, we end up stripping the soil of the minerals that are the food for the probiotic microorganisms that help protect our crops from pathogens. So over time, not only do we lose nutrient density in the crops that we grow in soil that, that we haven't amended yearly, uh, but the, the, the plant's immune systems are lessened, and so the crops are under attack from pathogens more and more often. 
So, essentially, you're saying in the in the apl- applicable manner that you could have a banana that looks like a banana, but it won't be as nutritious because uh, the plant may not have been that healthy. Yeah, you know, if they've been monocropping in an area for a you know long period of time, the 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 banana you know plant the tree is uptaking minerals from the soil and. If those minerals aren't replenished in the soil, then we start uh, growing things that uh, have deficiency. And when a plant has a deficiency, it will call the bugs, you know, because bugs have a job in nature too, and it will call them, and their job is to come and cull a plant that's unhealthy. So literally, like, you know, a lot of us know people still, or, you know, of course, ourselves, we had grow rooms in the past, and, and... it was almost like when we grew with chemicals, um, you know, the, the, the plants were almost calling insects. You know what I mean? You're like, holy cow. And um, truth is they were. You know, they were releasing pheromones and signals to the bugs to come and, and call them. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think it's similar in the sense to where when we... Are when when a life form is nutrient deficient, it rears itself in different ways, and at that point we become susceptible to other microorganisms that may get us sick. And obviously, we have the ability to strengthen a plant in order for it to not call those pests in at the same time. Similarly, with the conventional healthcare system, there's the the treat. Rather, you know, treatment is essentially the, you know, the protocol and there's not necessarily the same kind of uh, emphasis on prevention and uh, strengthening the cells to make sure that we as a life form can live in an optimal state. Uh, no matter what other life or, or, or unknown factors are going to happen in life or perhaps even genetically, though when we're nutrifying adequately and hydrating adequately, then we're less likely to be sick. And especially the, the foods that we're eating, when they're nutrient-dense, then we have a better opportunity to get these essential nutrients. And I think that bringing you on the show is... Uh, my my purpose is to bring back the conversation about organic practices and why they matter in terms of what we're growing, in terms of you know the food and the medicine that we're growing, in terms of the food and the medicine that we're taking in, and how it affects us on a on a you know in in an intricate level. Absolutely, you know, almost um, all of the modern diseases that people face, especially the ones that are the most common. And you're always seeing commercials on TV for, you know, all these new medicines. But the maladies or the diseases that the medicines are there to, uh, you know, help remedy. Um, If you were to go onto, like, Google Scholar, that search engine, so that you could get peer-reviewed results, you could search almost any of those diseases and then put in the keywords nutrient deficiency or mineral deficiency and you can find peer-reviewed papers on how every one of them 
is related to a mineral or a nutrient deficiency. Mm. And the problem today is, just like the scientists tell us that we have glyphosate, you know, Roundup, um, measurable in our, all of our rivers, uh, in our snowpack, you know, in the Sierras, and, you know, Colorado, all of our mountains, they're finding this glyphosate. And this glyphosate that is in the Roundup, originally one of the oldest patents, it was patented for three things so far that I know of. So uh, glyphosate has three patents that we know so far. One as a descaler for industrial boilers, and a descaler is a fancy way of saying demineralizer. So it, they would use it to strip the minerals out of the industrial boilers to clean themselves the, to clean up the boiler. So if it can strip the minerals out of an industrial boiler, it can obviously strip the minerals from inside of a human being who's ingesting it regularly, and it bioaccumulates in the body of the human being. Uh-huh. Um, the the second was as a herbicide. And then the third patent, which it recently was given, was a patent as an antibiotic. And so as long as we're eating these things, even if you were eating other foods that were nutrient-dense and, you know, dense with minerals, it's going to block the uptake of those minerals into your body. And so you still are going to suffer from the diseases that come from the deficiency. Yeah. You know, so many of us, I mean, let's be honest, in general, instant gratification is, I think, a humongous cause or maybe even effect of, of you know, technology, though instant gratification is why I think many of us are becoming so deficient, aside from the fact that, you know, as we vote with our dollar, we're telling companies that don't care about us and are serving us foods and medicines that are really just uh, harmful rather than helpful that we want that because we're buying them and they taste good. So it must be good. You know, I, I just found out from a conversation with somebody who they clean a, uh, a funeral home and they were speaking with the person that runs it. And they said that in the past couple of years, they've had more overdoses and suicides than anything. And they've been kept in business because of that. And that says so much to me, you know? Yeah, you know, if you just search the word depression and the word mineral deficiency, you're going to find paper after scientific paper on especially magnesium deficiencies, Mm. which almost everyone suffers from that today. If you're not taking a supplement, you probably are suffering from it. Incredible. You know, vitamin D is another one that rears itself in in depression if you're deficient of it, or it can. Yeah, uh, I think, what is it, D12 is one of the first things they'll give you. mm. You know, I found out. Uh, I think they when, they offered you know, me D three. My mom's sicknesses and my dad's. That on the standard blood panel, most often at the hospital they don't even check for magnesium. Huh. But when they checked with my mom because she had a hip surgery and we had a hard time getting her out of the nursing home, I kept telling them, you know, uh, finally I got with their nutritionalist. Uh, because I kind of speak the language of the nutritionalist, you know, coming up in the dairy industry and, you know, being in a scientific preceptorship under a nutritionalist. 
it, it's kind of same, same, you know? And so I said, please check her for magnesium. My family has a, a, a history of being chronically low in magnesium. And so they did check uh, her and they said, you know what? She was chronically low, wow. you know, out of a score of one to four, she had a score of one, you know, four being, you know, where you should be. What uh, were her symptoms? And they added the magnesium, you know, to her daily pills and, you know, added some, I think it was B12 to it. And she made a, a, a miraculous recovery. And we got her out of the nursing home fairly quickly after that. Amazing. What, what was her symptoms that um, made you want to test for that? Oh, muscle weakness. Uh-huh. Um, she was bruising very, very, very easily. Um, neurology, it, or it has to do with uh, the, the electrical signals being able to go throughout the body and, and to, you know, the, the whatever you're, you're telling to move, whether you be your fingers, your hand, your legs, your foot, whatever. Yeah. That's... You know, you have to think about it. nothing conducts electricity really in a, in a liquid environment like magnesium. Ah, indeed. I had um, just, you brought it up, they, you said they gave her B12 as well. I actually had a little bit of an issue where I was getting nerve, I guess uncomfortabilities would be a nice way to say it, um, though nerve pains, and I, I happened to have been B12 deficient, and I started taking B12, and it, it stopped. Literally, the left side of my body was, was, uh, was affected, and uh, it was that simple, you know? Yeah, they've probably got two or three different uh, things they could have labeled you with and tried to stick you on a pill for life over that. Yeah, I got lucky, and I got a really great doctor that um, thought about food first, which is being in the in the position of, you know, gorilla healer. People come to me after, generally after the conventional healthcare system has, I don't know if failed them is the right term, though ultimately not worked for them, and... Many people tell me because people ask me, "Hey, what 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 cannabis can I take to to help this particular ailment?" And I'll say, "Well, first off, tell me what you're eating and drinking." And people like they they tell me that I'm the first person to ask them that, and they've been through years and years and rounds and rounds of treatments and famous places, and nobody's talking to them about their diet or about the kind of or how much water they're drinking, you know, and. Um, it just blows me away. Yeah, and today's MD, uh, you know, an allopathic or an MD doctor, they, they only require a couple of hours uh, on the subject of nutrition, and I just don't understand, you know, I, I like to say I don't understand it, but I feel like I do understand it because they're not in the, they're in the business really of being a technician now more than a doctor, and they're there to prescribe you pharmaceuticals. You know, my dad's a doctor, and I imagine that I'd like to imagine that when he was going to school, it, it was a little different than it is today. And at the same time, I know that while obviously I love him and, and I know and you know that he's a good person, I also know that he's taught to qualify things in a certain way. And in terms of, let's say, even cannabis, if there's not enough research for someone in a position of a doctor or at least, you know, him to you know have enough research to to prove something enough for his qualification to believe in it then he is not going to apply it to life and i think that when you know it's unfortunate that 
some of the most well-researched options may be proving that they're also detrimental potentially. And not all pharmaceuticals are bad. You know, farms, not farms. Uh, you might get confused with hearing that. I don't believe that you should never take a pharmaceutical, and I'm not speaking against pharmaceuticals. I think that there are people that will tell you they're alive because of certain ones. And at the same time, there are people that will tell you that they're suffering because of certain ones. And so, you know, that's also a thing with food. You eat the wrong food, you're going to be poisoned. You eat enough salt, you might die, you know. So, yeah, I like to say all things in moderation, you know. Even moderation on occasion, you know, like uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> the the hypocrisy I see is that even within, like, don't don't get me wrong. If you suffer from a broken bone or a gunshot wound or a major, you know, uh, a heart attack, something like that, that that's major, a stroke. I'm all for emergency medicine. Allopaths rule emergency medicine. Yeah, but um, absolutely instance, necessary. If they, if we were in Europe and we went to an MD doctor, uh, after your, say you, he put you on penicillin or something, okay, an antibiotic, when you were done with that in Europe, they would tell you, okay, uh, now however long you took the antibiotic, we want you to take a probiotic for three times that duration. That, that would go ahead and, and, you know, get the gut bacteria and everything back to where they should be because, of course, the antibiotic, you know, just went in and, and killed everything indiscriminately. Yeah. But here we don't get that. You're you right. You know, here it's very rare that a doctor, I mean, it's just starting now, but it's rare that a doctor would tell you, oh, by the way, now when you come off of uh, this, this antibiotic, I, I want to put you on a regime of probiotics. Yeah, when's the last time you went to a doctor and heard about a gut panel? Get their act together, you know what I mean? Have one standardized, uh, you know, protocol for treating things. I'd like to think that that's a possibility, though there are different doctors for different things. And of course, you know, not everybody is even experienced or, you know, about a holistic uh, approach or knows that there's different kinds of doctors in terms of, you know, you might hear of a natural path or, you know, your doctor at the hospital or your doctor at your main doctor, your family practice. And obviously you really have to do some research. You have to know what questions to ask to understand what answers you're looking for. And with that, you know, that's why a lot of people are not finding out, being asked the questions, what are you eating and drinking? Because we're going to people who are, you know, specialists in the form of treat of treatment. And so, you know, that's, that's what they do. And you go there, if something's wrong with you, they'll say, here's what you could do to, you know, get better again. Um, there's, I, I, I went to a holistic nutrition school and the professor was telling me the first thing she does when a patient comes to her is she takes a gut panel to see what's going on and what they might be deficient of or maybe have an excess of. And that was, you know, one of the first times I heard about that. And it makes so much sense because so much happens in the gut. And I know when I take one of my CBD capsules and it hits my gut, as soon as it hits my gut, I feel like a million bucks. 
and it's you know mood and immunity and of course digestion all these things are taking place mood is stimulated by our gut and the other things are taking place there and it just it it's so key for our whole entire system and i think probiotic farming you know there's a huge connection there because um the masses don't yet know much about probiotics i'm actually hearing from a lot of people that they're hearing that they're bad which just blows me away i don't know what kind of information is going around that probiotics are bad though i think there's a balance to it you know knowing what kind of what's what a prebiotic is and knowing how to sustain beneficial microbiota and as well as in our plants and you know the soil the health of the soil is going to make sure that the plants are going to be able to uptake the nutrients and and maybe even have them right you know i try to pin it down and try to figure out where it comes from the disinformation and you know, people always have a reason for doing what they do. It might not be something that you understand, but they do always have a reason for doing what they do. And I think that a lot of it is just that, um, you know, uh, you know, like how they say, uh, it, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Okay. And so if you went to university that was uh, sponsored by Big Pharma uh, or, or you know, Rockefeller uh they're going to teach you things. They're going to teach you how to use their techniques. You know? Yeah. They don't teach you uh, other techniques. They're there to teach you their techniques. Absolutely. You know, if you go to ag school and conventional agriculture today, they teach you how to use today's chemicals and today's synthetic fertilizers. If you go to normal medical school, they teach you how to use pharmaceuticals. Uh, they don't teach you, and they even kind of discriminate against you a lot of times, you know, trying to uh, talk to your patients about a more holistic approach. And so when I say that, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, well, a lot of these people, although they may be well-intentioned, oh yeah, in their toolbox is only what they learned at university a lot of times, and Many times they may have even psychologically profiled some of these people for these particular positions. Mm. You know, as an educator, you don't get tenure, right, if you don't basically, you know, uh, tow the, the company rope, the line, you know. Makes sense. And where they used to teach everyone critical thinking in school now they kind of let you just go off and they they – they will use a sort of uh, appeal to authority. You know, I know a lot of older people. When when I was a um, when I first learned to make Rick Simpson oil, I, I did provide people with oil. And many times, the older people in my life they didn't want to hear about the the value of the the oil. The we call it fico today, but they didn't want to hear about that because basically. If someone was wearing a lab coat or a doctor's coat, they just succumbed and they just believe everything that 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 person in that coat would say, even though they knew better that that it's always good to get a second opinion when it matters. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they wouldn't. And I would have to. So I finally had to take like the the um, the the cannabis oil and get them to relate all the way back to the Bible 
because the only person a lot of these older people in my life were more afraid of than the federal government was God himself. Mm. And I'm like, look at the remedy he showed you in the book. Do you want to go meet your maker before you've tried the remedy he gave you in the book? Are you going to be more afraid of the federal government and being in trouble for a week or something? That's one of the questions I was doing this this little social experiment and I'd go around asking people two questions and the first question is if God forbid you or a loved one got sick and the only potential treatment was illegal would you stand by and watch them suffer or would you break the law and help them and I'm you know everyone answered the same way um, one person said he'd go to a state that was where the treatment was but everybody else said of course they'd help them and uh, um yeah, so I, I, it, it's a tough scenario, you know, when things are, uh, are demonized and, of course, criminalized. And um, though, yeah, um, I think. Well, and I, I think you probably have researched this to the level that I have, and probably much further. And a lot of us know there's already patents on this medicine. It's just locked away and kept from us. Things are definitely happening, and, and uh, you know, um, I, I don't think that the medical side of cannabis, which was, you know, the first tier or stage of legalization, is the same anymore. And, and, and I don't think that legalization is, is really happening on a grand scale because of the medical side of things, even though that's what is used to appeal to the people. Um, initially to pass these laws, though the laws are ended up, you know, built in ways to tax the people that need them as opposed to, you know, um, create safe and compassionate access. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes it, uh, tough. It even makes it tough for people like us who, you know, make, um, products to, to just help those in need. I had to tell people no for the longest time. And until, you know, we had um, a sustainable source of this solvent-free CBD, I didn't even offer that to people because I didn't ever want to tell anybody no. And there were other famous companies that had waiting lists and wouldn't tell anybody else about the plant. Or So as soon as I learned how to make oil, I was like, man, this is so easy. People are sitting and, and, and waiting for this stuff, and I just want people to know how easy it is to do it. So, I, you know, we made a video, and it's at 7easysteps.org. And um, I think that, you know, I had a patient here today telling me, man, you know, this, there's a lot of expenses with all of this stuff, and what, what can I do? And, of course, he's spending fifty dollars to $100,000 on chemo and radiation and all these things. Um, yeah. And so his money's tied up and I'm like, listen, you know, you can, you can, you know, spend money on your own light. You can spend money on your own genetics. You can spend money on your soil and you can spend money on a tent and these things and you can create your own, um, materials. You could even just potentially grow enough during the summer in the sun to use that for the year, you know, 
And it takes a lot of effort and it takes research to know what you're doing. And, you know, ask anybody who's been growing for some time. It takes learning a lot about what not to do to to get to the point where you're happy. And when your life depends on it, sometimes you need help from somewhere else. And and so, you know, it's at that point we require compassionate care and people who are willing to just help and you know, maybe even donate. Though, just bringing it back real quick to, to gardening, I'd love it if you have any, you know, because there's people that listen to this show that are not well-informed about cannabis and or growing even. And th- there's so many different terms and, and uh, considerations that you can bring up that I think perhaps you can talk about something super basic in terms of what somebody should look up if they want to learn a little bit more about probiotic farming. And then uh, from there, maybe you can talk a little bit about Grokashi. You know, if you wanted to look up probiotic farming right now and get the basics down and find out, you know, some of the, the more exciting things that have come to the forefront lately, I would go to YouTube and I would search probiotic farming. Uh, you'll find some videos with my name, but you'll also find other people that are highly credible. Of course, Kevin Jodry being one of them at the forefront of our industry uh, has a video with me and Patrick King on probiotic farming. Patrick King has a video series on probiotic farming now. And uh, Skunk Magazine has a couple. Probiotic farming is just... Um, Very simply, it's a super easy to set up garden using a sub-irrigated planter to save water and so that, you know, the the plant roots are isolated. You know, we don't have outside uh, toxins and environmental factors, you know, um, influencing the plant so much. We put the plant into a uh, a, a soil like um, um, a pro-mix type of soil at first so that there's very little nutrient in the base soil. And then on top of that base soil, we put down a grokashi and wet it, and we get ourselves a nice, fat mycelial mat going, you know, fairly thick, a nice bloom. To the people who, who aren't aware of what that means, what's a, what's a mycelial mat? It's just a nice, thick mat of white actinomycetes mycelium. That stuff lives in symbiosis. It lives with the plant. It goes out and finds nutrients to bring to the plant, and the better job that it does of feeding the plant, the more fungal sugars and things are released from the plant that are the paycheck for the mycelium. Mm. And so we're, we're emulating and simulating nature. So we have the roots not in contact, direct contact with a lot of fertilizer. And then we have the, the mycelial mat in the mulch layer up on top, like, like would be present in nature. And then we put the compost in the form of like the animal manure, uh, like a biodynamic compost would be a good, for instance, on top of the mycelial mat. Now, the mycelial mat acts like a delivery device and a filter. So it delivers exactly what the plant needs, but doesn't deliver to the plant what the plant doesn't need and the mycelial mat keeps the roots kind of from reaching too much the food source up in the mulch layer in the top and so like we use this for teaching purposes to teach children how nature basically works Uh you know feeding the plants it's everything breaks falls on the ground it's broken down and the microbes in the soil and the web deliver it 
to the plant. So it's it's a very simple system that emulates nature that we can use to teach children agriculture and natural agriculture. But it's so high performance in that this these type these microbes in the soil far better know what to feed the plant than we do. You know, it's not like the old days when we would be using a synthetic fertilizer and we'd keep our notebook and we'd run the fertilizer load up until we burnt the plant just a little bit and then we'd back off to half and then we'd run it back up over a week or two, you know, to about three quarters of where we burnt the plant and start, you know, taking notes again at that point to where we could get an individual cultivar under our thumb is what we used to call it, you know, when we ran indoors all the time. Uh, well, today we just kind of let go and let nature. Um, this stuff, it knows better what to deliver to the plant than we do. And like I said, I can take a plant, two plants, put them in one box. One would be like, say, a plant that's a heavy eater. And I can, in that same box, put in another plant at the other end that is something, uh, a cultivar that eats very little. And they will both be fed perfectly because these microbes know what to feed the plant. Mm. And, you know, I don't know if you know it or not, but when you grow a plant that has a high bricks level or a high nutrient density level, which is the same thing, that plant is packed with trace minerals, and, and that's what's given it that high nutrient density level. And those plants, when you reach a high enough bricks level, they're almost completely immune to insects because the plant tissue is literally too hard for the jaw of the insect to eat. So they go on to the plant that's deficient, you know what I mean, that's got a lighter color and that uh, susceptible, you know what I mean? It's like that plant that is deficient, like we talked about earlier, it's literally calling bugs to come and kill it. Mm. Yeah. So boost up the bricks level like uh, the plants along the uh, the buffalo trails and all used to be where the good soil was and magically you don't have problems with pests indeed and fungus too right it's impenetrable to the fungal spores yeah, right? because you know all these things have their place in nature but they're they're at it's out of balance because we've not been uh, putting things back in the soil that need to be put into the soil like our our great grandparents, they didn't have these ponds because they heated their homes, most of them, with uh, wood from the fireplace. And then, uh, of course, all of us remember it when I say it. The the old ones, they would take the ashes and go put it in the compost pile, or they would put the ashes back out onto the fields. And the mycelium had previously packed the tree, you know, full of trace minerals. And you know, the majority of ash is trace minerals. Yeah. So it's just a simple fact that we're taking from the soil, but we're not giving back to it. So when so after a while, you run out. And when using this, you know, application that you're talking about for the mycelial mat looks like fungus, correct? Yeah, it gets mistaken for fungus quite often. So it's okay if you guys see that. So so yeah. so from there, basically learning how to build your own soil or learning how to build your own soil base that will feed the mycelium, is that where Grokashi comes a little bit into play? Yeah, that's why we're broadcasting until halfway into flower with a cannabis plant. 
the uh, the grow cost you about a third of a cup per square foot uh, every two weeks, and we're just keeping up with the need of the plant, you know, so that it doesn't become deficient. Because a lot of times when we use them, um, like uh, Bokashi is also like a compost accelerator. So if you're going to accelerate composting, you don't want to run out of compost. Uh-huh. You know, you, you don't want to, it's like working with a PGR. Don't make that plant hungry with a PGR if the plant is hungry. Like if you if don't give it something to make it hungry and don't give it you know food. Sure. You you know it's not going to work out well for you. Indeed. Things will harm a lot of times very quickly, but when that happens, stresses, plant stresses, and different things manifest. Correct. Absolutely. Have you ever noticed that? Like you you've been in rooms and around plants that have hermed out, right? Sure. Have you ever noticed that there's kind of a common smell to those rooms? I and it's a sickeningly sweet smell. Mm. It almost is reminiscent of the smell that they put in that raid fly spray that I, attracts the bugs. I've been part of a lot of grows. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like a wine aficionado. How did he develop his palate? He was around a lot of wine. Indeed. Yeah. Well, like when I was a... I'll never forget when I wanted to be a judge for the Emerald Cup. Um, Tim, the guy who runs the Emerald Cup, he said, okay, let's see, Alan. And he brought in uh, 12, you know, one-pound bags of herb. Uh-huh. And he said, identify all 12. I only got 10, but luckily you only had to do eight to pass. <laughs> Two of them I wasn't familiar with, you know what I mean? But yeah. I I could see, you know, we called it an elbow instead of a pound. But, you know, I, I could pick up those elbows and pretty much tell you, uh, what you know each of them was and for the most part a lot of times i could because i had i'd worked in a lot of different grows i could even kind of for the most part tell you what you used as a fertilizer <laughs> if you'd moved a lot of packs at that time you knew what gh smelled like you knew what you know house and gardens kind of knew for what i'm talking about but it's got a distinctive smell yeah no matter what you're growing with it if you're moving packs you you start to know Sure. You're like, oh, that's advanced. You're using the new advanced line on that, and I can smell it in there. <laughs> and so there's a common smell to plants, especially ones that were fed a, a synthetic fertilizer. And it's that I can smell the aggravation in the plant. Mm. And then I was talking to my friends on the hill one day that they grew up here, you know. Uh, and they're like, yeah, that's an aggro plant, man. I'm like, aggro? You know, they said, yeah, aggravated. And if you smoke an aggravated plant, it will make you feel aggravated. Huh. And I was like, damn, you guys are hit that right on the head. Wow. You know that feeling. You smoke some chemi stuff and you get the jitters and you kind of feel aggravated. Sure. The kids up on the hill here, they call that aggro weed. <laughs> that just made a lot of sense. So I started being able to spot aggro weed. And I didn't want anything to do it because normally those are packs that aren't going to move. You know, there's talks of these sticks that you're going around, you can go around with uh, in supermarkets and tends to test the nutrient density of of food. And um, I don't know if they're going to ever be able to test whether or not a piece of meat was happy while it was alive. Though I do know this thing about, you know, uh, suffered meat is not good to eat and kosher is you know one of the considerations of kosher meat is that the animal did not suffer one bit and um you know that makes sense. 
it yeah because obviously you don't want to you know you don't want anything to suffer and as well as that gets passed along so I guess part of growing up is learning that, wow, I really need to make sure I relearn a lot what I was taught because it seems to not pan out. <laughs> well, I know that I definitely learned how to grow with bottled nutrients, and I, and I know that the tastiest food and cannabis that I've had, well, let's even just focus on cannabis for the moment. The tastiest cannabis that I've had is grown in living soil and grown you know, probiotically, I guess we we can say it just, it really is a significant difference. And when when it's done right, I've also had, you know, no-till living soil herb that did not taste that great. And of course, there also, uh, there's factors in the cure. So, you know, there's different. And not all, just because it's grown organically doesn't mean it's all equal. (laughs) Or just because it's grown with probiotics doesn't mean that it was it's all equal. True. You know, I think that nutrient dense uh, the the pin the or whether you're using a refractometer or they've got a new device that just hit the uh, that just hit the um, the shelves for testing nutrient density that that's pretty cool. Um, that's that's the truth right there. Like you know what a refractometer was first uh, invented for, right? Tell us. God, I hope I don't merge into this, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was in the mid-1800s, and they were using the refractometer to be able to tell ahead of time which barrels of wine would be superior huh. and which ones would just be vinegar. Because you know what a low-nutrient-density wine is, right? That's basically vinegar. So think of the taste difference between vinegar and a great wine. Mm, wow. Nutrient density, is the di- that's the difference. So in cannabis, when we taste a, a plant that is just tricked into chelating whatever the scientists wanted it to, you know, uptake, um, that plant, we, we all know it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful plant. You know, it's, well, most often you got to use pesticides and things because these plants seem to be magnets but they can be beautiful don't get me wrong and they stack up nice you know you remember chemical stacking and what we would do with the <laughs> bumping up with the newts and stuff like that so that it would stack and then fill in and stack and fill in uh-huh it's it's weird like uh to let go of all that we learned in conventional agriculture and just kind of let the soil the living soil do its thing and make sure that we emulate a good spot in nature where the herd animals, different species would come by, you know, multiple times every year. Man, that seems to be almost the best you can do. Just let go and let nature, you know, just try to biohack nature and and provide what nature provides. What do you think about drinking RO water? Do you have you have you any opinion on that? Well, RO water is completely stripped of, of most of its mineral content, right? Generally, though, the, I believe that trace minerals are added right after. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, healthiest people I know drink, uh, and the ones that live the longest drink like glacial water that almost looks like milk. It's so full of trace minerals and stuff. So um, I can see why people would RO water nowadays because of environmental factors 
But like me, I drink spring water that comes out of the mountain about a quarter of a mile from my house, and I'm happy with that. I travel to the mountain for water as well, and <clears throat> definitely significant difference in the quality of my life since, you know. Well, all... they say that this water coming out of my mountain is 10,000 years old. Yeah. And so the Roundup ain't gotten, hasn't had time to pollute that yet. And yeah. the, you know, groundwater pollutants? Yeah aren't in this water that I'm getting out of the creek. And I know it's highly, highly mineralized, and my pH is fairly high here. I'm only in the range of nine. Wow. But my animals love it. My dog, you know, everyone loves it. I'm kind of one of those guys that's a weirdo. I, um, I don't like to farm with well water. I, and it's just an ethical thing. I feel like the water out of the creek, uh, that's what we're supposed to drink and, and water with. And the water in the well, that's like Mother Nature's, you know, groundwater to me is like, that's Mother Nature's savings account. Yeah. You know, for the years when there's no, uh, you know, drought is going on. And so like in the valley here in California where so many of the farmers depend on the, uh, you know, the groundwater. You know, when you, you used it all up and you're in the middle of drought years and people's wells, you know, aren't deep enough anymore, like that should tell you something. Mm. So, I don't know. I don't want to get on my high horse too high. I'm just saying, if you can get spring water, I, I would use that. Yeah, it's definitely not the easiest thing to find anymore, though. You know, I, I think for me, I've made the choice to believe in myself enough to, th- to know that I'm worth everything and the quality of my life is going to affect everything that I do. And so I'm investing in me more, whereas before I I used to just kind of, you know, buy cheaper products and stuff like that and things that, you know, just... You know how they say that you have to, before you can love anyone else, you have to love yourself. Yeah. Like if you don't... And so, man, sometimes I, I, I use that to get over the sticker shock when I'm looking at the price of a good cut of meat nowadays. Mm. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm just going to chalk this up to showing myself that I love myself in the food and the water and the things that I consume. And you feel better. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go take, um, I wouldn't go out to my race car and, and instead of putting, you know, good fuel in it or my motorcycle or something, I wouldn't go out there and think, you know what, I'm out of good gas, so today I think I'll just put naphtha in there. <laughs> you know, it might kick off and it might run, but it's going to run like shit. Yeah. It's, it... And that's what it's like if your body's a machine and you're feeding it lousy fuel. It's, long-term it's not going to perform, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, the long-term effects of that consistency is detrimental to life. And uh, generationally, we have been committed to these diets that aren't, you know, on a mass level, aren't really serving us. And the standard American diet or the sad diet is, uh, is, is, it's working. And we're seeing the results. And, you know, many of us are nutrient deficient. And, um, of course, many of our waters... Are, have so many chemicals in them for different reasons. So I think that, you know, one thing maybe we can conclude on this topic, um, you want to touch on beneficial runoff? You know, um, 
one day years ago, I was sitting there early in the morning at Eddie Lepp's Healing Fields, and I was talking with Jack here, and we were talking about the farming practices that were used so much, especially in the Emerald Triangle, and how a lot of them were toxifying the creeks. This, this is a story about you in a healing garden speaking to Jack Herrera. Yeah. Okay. Some of you know, like, to this day, Eddie Lepp is still, he's a business partner of mine, and he's, he's my mentor in the cannabis world. Um, and so I was at his house, and I was talking to Jack Herrera one morning early after a, a party the night before, a festival, and he said, you know, I think, you know, there's these upcoming laws that can be passed here in the United States that could easily take our right to farm away from us. Hmm. And so if this green movement is coming and this green movement might be used to take our right to farm, we should probably outgreen the green movement, uh, prove through scientific testing that the farming that we are involved with is uh, remineralizing the soil and the the uh, the watersheds in our area, and so that the runoff from our farm, as long as it doesn't contain these chemicals anymore, these synthetic fertilizers and such and pesticides, if our runoff is only beneficial, and we can prove that it's beneficial, then it would give us legal standing to retain our right to farm huh. fascinating so you know like what i would do is i come in before i start farming and you know uh start uh testing the soil and the water right here in the creeks and then prove that anything that is coming from my farm is beneficial so that the jurisdiction is taken away from any of the um, people that would want to come and, uh, you know, try to take away your, your right to farm. Uh, they lose their jurisdiction when you're working with scientists and you're involved in uh, an active uh, remediation or bioremediation of a site. Well, you know, the second question I said earlier, I asked people two questions. The second question is, what is your contribution to our world? And I think that you have been, you know, what you just said is a testament to a contribution of your care, of your consideration, of, you know, and the things you're paying attention to, what you love. I always say that there's only one you, and so what you love, you're the only person in the world that's going to love it the way you do, and that's your magic. And so these things that you're paying attention to have the ability to help us be us, the best us, you know, and, and, and of, of course retain our freedoms, which is what um, humans love. <laughs> yeah, we kind of don't do will when free will is taken from us. Let me ask you a question. Just do you find that probiotic farming is more or less expensive than conventional? About a third the price of conventional. A third the price. And the yeah. solution, the solution, what, what's the, how, do, how does one bridge that gap? Because somebody might feel like, oh, 
what do I have to go to? I have to learn all this stuff. And I, you know, it may be overwhelming to some people and people might say, well, you know, I know this, I know it works. And some people, you know, are making money with that. And they say, I, I can't change that. I can't even afford to mess up once. And so, you know, I, I think I have a, a different approach in terms of I'm working with these materials that are being grown and applying them to help protect life. So I require it to be qualified to the point where it was done right. And so I want more people doing it that way. So what would you say to, you know, to anybody who is perhaps looking for an answer to bridge that gap? I would say that the only thing constant is change. And right now, if you tried to stick with conventional farming, you know, to, to pay the bills, it's becoming less and less popular every day. And these new meters, like the nutrient density meter that you're talking about, they're used more and more every day. And so if you want to stick with conventional farming and you want to be in the cannabis world, you're, I mean, you know, you personally know, right, that legislation is coming up that's going to take away a lot of these chemical fertilizers away from the people who are currently using them. Uh, if you stick with the old way, you're going to be like that farmer that's tried to stick with brown weed when green <laughs> bud hit the scene. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's where it's going. It wasn't that long ago that, you know, um, the, a lot of the grocery stores didn't have a very big uh, selection of organic vegetables. But today, because of education and uh, of the consumer, most grocery stores have a, a, a bigger organic section than a conventional section. And cannabis is going that way, too, because um, – Pot pollution is going to become an issue. They're going to start suing the larger gardens that are polluting them, that, polluting their neighborhood. There's also the issue of, you know, we went to Vegas recently. We went to this dispensary and they had all the new strains and everything was, you know, really uh, um, top tier, though you don't know how it's grown. You just see that it looks sexy. Everything's great. Um, you know, they have all the new strains and a couple of days later, everybody's throat hurts and everybody, you know, the following oh, yeah. week, pe people, are, people are literally sick, you know, and saying, somebody said to me, I think I'm allergic to weed now. And I was like, what are you talking about? Have you ever felt that way before? And they said, no. And I was like, well, you know, remember how you kept on wanting to hit my herb? <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. I know the dispensary stuff. I even bought a gram of this one. There's one thing. It was $25 a gram, $70 an eighth. It was ridiculous. And, you know, definitely not taking care of people. <laughs> Maybe instantly, though not in totality. Yeah. A lot of people are getting sick from the poisons that are in a lot of these... Uh vape pens lately too i'm noticing yes yes it's terrible you know, I, uh, can i tell you something i just want your listeners to hear this four years ago i was listening to a speaker who was one of the infamous black tuna gang the biggest cannabis smugglers at that point ever uh his name's bruce perlow and he did the penny uh cannabis stocks and stuff like that so he on the stock exchange today he's doing quite well anyway so i'm listening to bruce talk and he was talking about the oils. And after the talk, when I went, I interviewed him. I asked him, so um, 
I see the vape pens are coming on the scene. Do you think uh, that the cannabis growers, that it would, the mom and pops, maybe should we start growing uh, specific crops for oil making? And he said, let me tell you something, no. He goes, before the Chinese and the investors even showed you guys these vape pens, they had, I don't know how many thousands of tanker, you know, the, the, the tankers from the rail lines, mm-hmm. full of that oil. And so, like, they're importing a lot more to that oil than people know. And, you know, this cannabis for that oil was growing uh, using the water from some of the most polluted rivers on this planet. When you say that oil, are you talking about the propylene glycol and stuff like that? The cannabis oil that's being snuck in and brought in oh. from especially China. Okay. He was telling me don't do oil crops because they have cornered the market before they even showed you guys those vape pens. Huh. And now I'm being told uh, by insiders in places like uh, Seattle, they're like, yeah, you know, you see a lot of these uh, these guys buying their licenses for production. And they're just black market sneaking oil in and then claiming that they produced it at their site. Uh-huh. And we also find out of the heavy metals that are present in a lot of the, the little cartridges called the cart, right? You know? Yes. Oh, man, my friend Swami was going off the other day with link after link showing that a lot of these carts were heavily contaminated with heavy metals. Mm. So uh, what is this, hypermesis? You're familiar? Yes. The, the, peop- the people cyclical vomiting, vomiting and yeah, all that? Yes. It's, this is only my theory at this moment, you know, my hypothesis basically. But I noticed that most of the people that are suffering from that, although they do smoke a lot, what they have in common is that, you know, they've smoked quite a bit of this oil in these cheap vape pens. So perhaps you're saying a link could be... Cause I. I I don't know what you know what I've heard in that I can't speak on that though I do know about cheap metals and you know um cheap ingredients and um of course I know about Because though so I'm an old head and I'm smoking with people that that are coming down with this that smoked for a long time very very long time too and the only thing new in the equation is their vapes is the vapes yeah especially the cheaper ones yeah, it's a thing. So my know? advice is for people to steer clear of those, you know. Make your own oil if you want to smoke oil. Well, you know, they're going to have to figure out what a smoking device, too. <laughs> if, uh, I'm still a fan of flour. If I'm going to smoke some oil, I'll put some oil on the flour itself and go ahead and run it through like a volcano. I'm still a big fan of the volcano. Volcanoes are good too, and you know what I'm smoking with? Uh, I'm I'm rocking the Puffco Peak, and I really like it. And um, shout out to Puff, shout out to Puffco, Brooklyn represent, and shout out Chelsea. And um, yeah, you know I, I think that um, there's there's all different considerations, and we definitely want to be healthy. We definitely need to do our homework. We definitely need to know what we're putting in our bodies if we want to, um, you know, feel good and and suffer less. And so um, thank you for coming on Farms Not Farms Radio. And um, I look forward to having you back. And, uh, you know. Let me tell people, man, grow your own or at least know your own. Mm. Know your farmer. 
Yeah, that's definitely a luxury for many of us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, is is there anything else that you'd like to leave the people with on this blessed day of life? You know, I think that you are the sum total of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I think that if you listen to podcasts and uh, intake your information through your ears audibly, that your ego thinks you're hanging out with those people. I'll leave you at that. <laughs> are there any um, are there any other books or audios that you think people should listen to? You just might want to list off real quick. I, mean, I know Jeff Lowenfeld. Is that something that you maybe you want to? Any any anybody else or anything? You know, I would say Doctor Ulry uh, with Minerals for the Genetic Code is a great read for anyone who hasn't yet read it. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Bless you guys, man. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, brother. Great talking to you and uh, so much love. Keep up the great work. You too, man. Thank you. And I love my (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. Farms, not farms. Yeah, it's a a hemp T-shirt. Um, shout out to Build the Soil for sponsoring that, and you can actually get your. It's um, big up to Hoodlam. Hoodlam uh, hemp T-shirts are pesticide free, and um, they well, are. Don't forget, Hoodlam has jackets for your dog now too. Yeah, the doggy jackets. Hoodlam is awesome. Definitely look them up. Shout out to uh, CC and Adam, and um, yeah, big up everyone. We love you. Have a good one, Brett. Bye bye. You've been listening to Farms Not Farms Radio on 93.1 FM Boulder, greenlightradio.com. Thank you for subscribing to Farms Not Farms podcast on iTunes. Deep breath. And I'm out. Continue to enjoy your day.